That's awesome. That's better. That's better. Praise the Lord. It is good to see you. God is good, isn't he? God is good every day, every moment and every hour. I'd like to start tonight with prayer. Would you join me? Lord, we love and appreciate you tonight. We are so thankful, Lord, that not only are we here, but so are you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you anoint your word. Lord, let it, let it not just be an intellectual exercise for us, but Lord, let us internalize it, allowing it to change us in the manner that it's intended, Lord. Touch us and help us. Let us be attentive and focused on your word. Bless us with your presence. In your precious and holy name we pray. Anoint Brother Dave tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone say amen. Praise the Lord. It is good to see all of you. Uh, please remember that we are, uh, that you can give tonight. We are appreciative of your generosity, and you can continue to give in the receptacle in our foyer or electronically. I think everybody pretty much does it electronically. If you're, you get a little uh, homesick or a little uh, reminiscent of the old days, you can put something in the, the box outside. Praise the Lord. Now, there's a few things I've got to talk to you about tonight, and then I want to share something with you I thought of today. Uh, remember that our 21 days of sacrifice runs through Sunday, January 24th. I pray that that is a very beneficial exercise for you. Saturday, January 23rd, men, if you are able, please join us in the A Center at 9 a.m. for men's prayer. That always edifies. Sunday, January 24th, there is a, this Sunday there is a fundraiser to Finland for Sister Heather Tear. It will be red beans and rice, plates with cornbread and, and dessert. It will be $8 per plate. And I know the boy, the young man that's cooking it. It's not me. It's my son-in-law, and he actually knows how to do it. So enjoy. And remember that if your address has changed, please contact the church office so that your yearly contribution statement can be sent to the correct address. Praise the Lord. I'm going to turn this over to Brother Dave in just a second. But I was, you know, today is not just like any other day. Uh, and something occurred to me as I was driving along. Today was Inauguration Day the political process in the United States. And, and there's a lot of pomp and circumstance associated uh, surrounding the transition between administrations within human government, not just in the United States, really anywhere. And it really should be because it's important. The ceremonial grandeur rarely, if ever, springs from a unanimous acceptance of that individual's qualifications for whatever office they may be taking over whether it is president or prime minister or monarch. There's always going to be division and, and, and people that, that are against that, whoever it may be. There will be a day, however. And this is what, what occurred to me as I was driving along. There's going to come a day in which there's going to be a truly universal positive acknowledgement of an individual's right, a certain person's right to a specific title. This moment is prophesied about actually in our scriptures. It's foretold in Isaiah and Romans and, and the book of Philippians. And that scripture states that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Mine, I am very insignificant. You who are more significant, you're going to confess this, and your knee's going to bow. Every president, however, every prime minister, every king, every queen, every diplomat, every dignitary, every person of power that assumed power in this world is going to have to bow their knee 
and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. That is why we walk in confidence through a world that is marked by division and strife and confusion and anger and conflict. We walk forward confidently because we are bound securely to the knowledge that God is good, that God is powerful, and that really, ladies and gentlemen, he's the only one that's really worthy to sit on a throne. God bless you, Brother Dave. Well, Brother Ben caught me off guard there. I had to turn my microphone on. Good to see you, Grace Church. How are you tonight? Awesome, awesome. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad that you got to see me tonight. Hey, I'm glad you got to see me, and I'm glad to get to see you. And I mean that sincerely. You know, Pastor's been talking um, a lot lately about fellowship. You're going to hear some more about that in the coming days and, and, and weeks about the need for us to, to, to fellowship together, good godly fellowship, good godly time together as a, as a church, a church family. And that's important. That's important. And so what we're doing here tonight is not only studying the word, but it's, it's being together. It's being together in the presence of God. And I look forward to that. I, I cherish that. I'm excited about it. And, you know, there, there's a word that has been so uh, just really over, overdone. It's been overused, in, in, especially in Christian circles, um, but even, in, even in, in the culture at large, that I actually got to a point, at one point I was just tired of even hearing the word. I, I just thought, you know what, we got to stop using that word. The word is community. But after I, after I began to, to think about it and began to, began to study about it just a little bit, the, uh, the word community is very much a biblical word. It's very much a Christian uh, ideal. And, and it's very much a Jesus ideal, a Jesus idea. I, I got to thinking about it. Jesus had the 70 that he trained and sent out. He had the 12. He had the, he had the three. That was his inner circle. So he lived in community. He was constantly you know, pouring himself into others. I'm sure they added things to him. But, but even above that, I read in the gospel, you read in the gospel, Jesus was always going to weddings and, and feasts and parties. Uh, I, I find, Pastor, that he, he liked being invited over for, for dinner. To, he pretty much never missed an opportunity to get invited for dinner. Jesus would accept that. So I think community is very much a Jesus idea. So this idea of community is, is very important, and we're emphasizing that a good deal here at the beginning of the year. You're going to hear more about it, but... But I'm just happy to be in community here tonight. And there's, there's things going on all over the campus uh, our, for our students, our kids, uh, our young people just, just here in the sanctuary. And so it's, a great, it's just a great night to be at Grace Church. I said all that to say. Hallelujah. So God bless you tonight for being here. Speaking of community, don't forget, we do have an opportunity to bless our community and be the hands and feet of Jesus this coming Sunday. Uh, Katie Ty is heading up an effort that we've partnered with some folks called Hands of Grace. And uh, we want you to just bring any, any kind of, of warm winter clothing, coats, sweaters, blankets, beanies, uh, you know, uh, sleeping bags, all those things. You can also bring toiletries, and uh, these will get distributed to those that need them most, especially in the time that we're in with the, with the winter months and the, the cold weather. So you can do that this coming Sunday after the, before and after the service and also the following, uh, January 31st. So don't forget that. Make a note of that 
and uh, you will be a blessing. It'll, it'll be um, an opportunity to give back. So having said that, let's go to the Word of God today, tonight. I hope that you have your Bibles. Don't forget our effort here at Grace Church is to not become so... We won't, don't want to rely so much on the screens to, to have our, um, our scriptures for us. So we want to turn in the Word and get familiar with handling that Word. We don't mention it every time, but I want to mention it every chance I get. That's still a thing here at Grace Church. We still want to do that. I, I saw um, or I, I've heard that, that some of our students, some of our kids in their classes are doing sword drills to, to learn the books of the Bible and where they're located. I love that. I think that's so very important. Um, that they do that and they know. And so then when they come in church, they can, they can turn in their Bibles and, um, and, and know where the, the readings are. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn with me. And if you don't, it will be on the screen for your convenience. We're going to go to John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. And, and the, these are good verses to memorize. If you don't already, commit these to memory. Uh, fairly easy to do, I think. And uh, if anybody ever asks you about your, your experience in, the, in, in receiving the Holy Ghost, receiving the Holy Spirit, if you ever need to, to testify or just do a quick Bible study, uh, you, can, you can start over at John 3 and talk about Nicodemus coming to Jesus. You can come real quickly over to John 7, what we're going to read here tonight, and then go straight to Acts 2. And in five or ten minutes, you've got a good little Bible study on, on the Holy Ghost. So these are good verses to know, good verses to memorize. Let's... Let's go to John 7, verses 37 through 39. The scripture says, John writing, In the last day, that great day of the feast. Now, in a few days, we're going to say the last day, the great day of the fast. But right now, it's okay to chuckle a little bit. That was meant to be a, a little humor there. But this was the feast, all right? This was a feast. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up. So, one person said that uh, there's a difference in, in, in seeking God in prayer and fasting and seeking God in prayer and feasting, right? And uh, we probably prefer the prayer and feasting more than the prayer of fasting, but we've got to have both. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. But this spake he, I love that John clarifies this right here and he tells us, he gives us some insight. But this spake he of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, that, uh, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And so we're just going to have a little Bible study tonight from that text. And I just want to call it, the water is still living. The water is still living. The scripture says that the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is quick and powerful. That, that word quick there just means it's alive. The word of God is alive and powerful. The word really is alive. It's eternal. It does not change. It does not return void. I, I love the idea that the word truly is the living word. Recently, uh, just last week, I came across a podcast. I was looking for one thing and, you know, it popped up and said, you might like this. Someone has put together a podcast 
and they've uploaded on, on Apple Podcast, if you're interested, all kinds of sermons from apostolic sermons from the days of yesteryear. I'm talking about Brother Marvin Treese and Brother J.T. Pugh, Brother Andrew Urshan, uh, just all, all, the, all the old-time preachers, we would call them. And I, I, I got interested in that and started listening to it a little bit. And, uh, and I was struck by the fact that, that, that sermons, biblically-based sermons, apostolic anointed sermons based on the Word of God preached in some instances before I was born that I could come back some 40, 50 years later and through the marvel, modern marvel of, the, of recording, I could listen to them again and they would still inspire, they would still challenge, they would still edify my spirit and those that are listening to them because the Word is alive, it's living, it's eternal. And that's the power of the Word of God. But we know also from our reading tonight that the Spirit of God is alive. And that, that probably sounds a little intuitive, but stick with me. It is referred to by Jesus as living water. This is, this is something that's alive. It's, it's something that is, is living. And, and, and I believe that with all of my heart. And though it seems like an obvious statement today, especially among us because we've encountered His presence, hopefully we encounter His presence on a daily basis, consider the, 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 the idea here or the context at which Jesus is getting at when he calls, uh, he, when he says that the water is life-giving, the sense that he is speaking here. It, he, he calls it a river. So that tells me then that, that just like a natural river, as it moves along its course, it gives life. It gives life, to, it gives life to fish. It gives life to waterfowl. It gives life to plants. It, it's an entire ecosystem that depends on that river flowing for its life. And so in that sense, the river is life-giving. It's life-affirming. And so it is with the Spirit of God. It gives life to those who have received it and are continually being swept along in its current. Acts chapter 3 speaks of the times of refreshing that come in the Spirit. And that is how it is with the Spirit-filled life. We are constantly caught up, refreshed, rejuvenated, nourished and sustained by the living water of life. It's a spiritual ecosystem, if you will, that is a living, breathing, life-giving entity in our lives. I'm thankful today that the water is still living. I'm thankful today that the Spirit life-giving and that anyone who, who thirsts can come and drink freely of the waters of salvation. Are you thankful for that today? Amen. Amen. So to understand then the context and the, the, the idea that, that we read about here tonight, Jesus' great proclamation, probably his most dramatic and most public moment in the story of Jesus. I, I read uh, one author said this is probably one of the most complex moments in the ministry of Jesus. You'll see that as we get into this study tonight. To fully grasp the meaning of what Jesus is doing here, we have to go back to John chapter 7, verse 2. See, we picked up in John 7, 37, and he says on that last day, the great day of the feast. And so, without a show of hands... I ask you tonight, do you know what feast that was? And it's okay if you don't because I didn't either, which is why I started studying this. John tells us in John chapter 7, verse 2. He, he helps us. He gives us a clue. 
He tells us in John chapter 7, verse 2, that this is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. It's exactly right. From there, John assumes that we know what happens on the last and great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And of course, his early readers would have known that. They would have known it without a doubt. But to those of us in the 21st century, removed from that culture by time and location, we easily read past and miss the full impetus of Jesus, again, most public and most adamant affirmation and proclamation of who he was and who he is. The Feast of Tabernacles, to give you a little bit of background, is also referred to as the Feast of Booths. It is also called Succoth, the Feast of Succoth by the Jewish people. It's one of the three great feasts of the Jewish year, and it was referred to as a pilgrimage feast because everyone who lived within 25 miles of Jerusalem was required to come and celebrate that feast within the city walls. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths because there were tents that were set up all over Jerusalem in public squares, in the temple square, on rooftops, on those flat rooftops of those buildings. They would set up tents and they would dwell in those tents for eight days celebrating the fact or, or, or honoring or commemorating the fact that their forefathers had wandered in the desert for 40 years or in the wilderness for 40 years, which also they would have lived in tents, which is another meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles. So they're celebrating and commemorating the 40 years that their fathers spent wandering in the wilderness, and it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. What all this really means is that when Jesus stood up and said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, that the temple court where he was standing would have been packed with tens of thousands of people to hear his proclamation. You talk about getting your message out. You know, when the moment was right. You, you know, I read where, where Jesus wasn't always so quick to let people know who he was and what he was up to. In fact, many times he told his disciples, he said, don't tell people who I am. When, when Peter made his famous uh, proclamation that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he then told his disciples, said, see that you tell no man who I am. But, but, but in Jesus' divine purpose and in his divine uh, sovereignty, he chose this moment to really roll back the curtain and really open up who he was, a revelation here of what he was doing. And so he makes a bold statement here of what he's all about. During the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the people would cut branches from willows, palms, and myrtles and tie them together with silver and gold cords and they would keep them with them all day and take them to the synagogue for prayer. And they would carry them into the temple and they would march around the altar and they would cry, Hosanna, we beseech thee, which in this instance just means save us, we beseech thee. And then they would sing Psalms 113 through 119 during that ritual. And then on the seventh day of the feast, they would walk around the altar seven times and this was called the Hosanna, I'm sorry, the Hosanna Rabbah, the great Hosanna. This was the, 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 the big one, if you will, where they would, they would march around that tabernacle or march around that altar seven times and, and give the great Hosanna. So this would go on all week. But on the eighth day, the eighth day was considered that last great day of the feast. It was the climax of the Feast of Tabernacles. 
in which the water drawing ritual was done. And this is what John assumes that we know when we read that it is the last great day of the feast. But of course we don't again because we are separated from, uh, by, from this by time and culture. The ritual itself, the water drawing ritual was not commanded by Moses necessarily. The, the, the Feast of Tabernacles was, but this ritual that they inserted on day 8 was not necessarily commanded by Moses. And the origin of the custom is unknown, but it was conducted down through the centuries. The Talmud speaks of it, and, and it was performed down through the centuries of Jewish worship. And what they would do during the water drawing ceremony, the priest would take a golden vessel and he would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would fill it with water from the pool of Siloam. And, and with the sound of the shofar, the trumpet, the, 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 the ram's horn, as it was blowing, he would bring that pitcher of water back and he would ascend the temple steps to that altar and he would pour out that water as an offering onto the altar of the Lord. And here's what I want you to get. As he was pouring that, that water on that altar, he would quote Isaiah 12, 3, which says, Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. With joy, with joy shall you draw water. The Talmud says that he who has not seen the rejoicing at the water drawing ceremony has not seen rejoicing in his life. This was a joyous time. They would lift their voices. They would dance. They would sing. They would celebrate. Why? Because every time the priest poured that water on that altar, and every time he quoted Isaiah 12, 3, they were looking ahead because they believed that Messiah was coming and that when he came, a fountain of cleansing would be opened unto them. They were very well aware of the prophecy in Zechariah 13, 1 that says, In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. So when Jesus stood at that moment, at that moment, and declared, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He was saying... I am the Messiah, the answer to centuries of hopes and prayers. I am here to answer your prayer for salvation. And if you will drink of this water, you will never thirst again. And you can draw water out of this well with joy like you've never known. You think the celebration around the, around the altar in the tabernacle is something. Wait till you drink of the water from the wells of life. He was saying that the sacrifices of bulls and goats couldn't do it. Strict adherence to the tenets of the Mosaic law couldn't do it. The solemn feast days couldn't do it. But if any man would believe on Jesus, out of his belly would flow rivers of living water. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalms 46.4, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. So for any Jewish person that was in the audience that day, one, uh, any that were among the crowd of tens of thousands and was paying attention in that moment and had any knowledge of the Old Testament Scriptures would have understood emphatically what Jesus was saying, declaring that salvation had come at last. 
Notice what Ezekiel said. Here's another verse from the Old Testament they would have been aware of if they were astute. 47.9, he prophesied, It shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. For they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. Again, Jesus fulfilling this great prophecy in that moment. I want you to know today there is salvation in the rivers of life. And not only is there salvation, but there's healing tonight in the rivers of life. I love the fact that in some accounts of the Jewish tradition of the water drawing festival, some accounts say that that priest would, would pour the water and then he would mix it with wine. Don't you just love that wine being, of course, a type of the Holy Ghost and having no idea that the fulfillment of that prophecy was standing right before their eyes on that last day, the great day of the feast, with joy drawing water out of the wells. I want you to know today the waters are still alive and well. They're still moving through this church. They're still coursing through every spirit-filled believer that's sitting here tonight. They're, they're living waters. They're flowing waters. They're life-giving waters. They're, they're life-affirming waters. And you can find healing in anything you need in these waters tonight. They are still living. Now you have to understand this moment, this moment was a perilous moment for Jesus. Jesus didn't just casually stroll up to the pulpit like Brother Ben did to start service or like I did when it came time for Bible study. Jesus' life was in grave danger in this moment. Uh, there were those seeking, seeking his life at, at, this, at this moment. Um, uh, in fact, in fact the, the scripture says that, um, that Jesus, that, that, that his disciples in, in John 7 at the beginning of the chapter, it says that they asked him, said, are you going to the Feast of Tabernacles? And Jesus said, no, y'all go ahead and go. I'll wait here. And then after they went, he waited. And then he slipped in secretly. He slipped in privately. And he, he stayed fairly incognito uh, except for one episode we see where he taught in the temple. And he made them mad. He made them mad. He taught during the feast and he upset them. And they, they sought his life. And the, the Bible says he escaped out of his hands. So, so for him to stand up and to say this, was, was, was a moment of great peril. It was not, it was not casual. It was not easy. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was just the perfect environment. It wasn't like that everything was just right and, and, and every I was dotted and every T crossed. But, but, but for, for the reasons that only Jesus had, he chose that moment, that moment of great celebration, but at great peril for himself to make this pronouncement. What that really means for us tonight and what I want you to get is that, that, is that if you need anything from God tonight and these rivers of water, even if you're your spirit-filled believer, which I, I would say all of us here tonight are spirit-filled believers, but if you need that time of refreshing, if, if, if you need a, 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 a refilling of the Holy Ghost, or maybe you need the Holy Ghost for the first time, I want you to know that, that it doesn't matter the perilous times that we live in. It doesn't matter the fractured culture that we live in. It doesn't matter the headlines that we read every day. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Jesus is still declaring that he that cometh unto me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You can still drink of the living water tonight. Hallelujah. I, I just love this. I love that Jesus is still calling those that thirst. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I found online uh, a video clip of this, um, of this ceremony. 
being uh, conducted in a modern context. And I'll, I'll give you more of that in just a second. If you're interested, you can find it online. You can see the water drawing ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles. When I pulled it up and started listening, those, those shofar blasts of the, of the trumpets, the, the, the horns, they're real dissonant to our Western ears. They're very, very dissonant. If, if I could be so bold, I don't mean any disrespect, but it kind of sounded like a traffic jam, to be honest with you, like people honking their horns. And uh, it created such a stir that uh, Dawson came in there and said, what in the world are you doing? And so I explained to him a little bit about it. But here's the deal. It was, it was a video clip of the water drawing ceremony from 2014. And they tell you this on the video clip that it was from 2014. It was videoed and put online and it was significant because it was the first time, and 2014 was the first time the water drawing ceremony had been performed since the destruction of the second temple in A.D. 70. I want you to think about that. All the way from 8070 to 2014 is how long it took for them to reinitiate the water drawing ceremony. This is why I bring this up and this is what struck me about this. This is what struck me about this. Sitting there watching that, there were you almost couldn't see it in, in, from some angles because all the people had their cell phones in the air. Some of them had selfie sticks. And they were recording the moment. And whoever was recording this, you got all of that. And they were recording the moment. In addition, there were a lot of tourists there. And, and the, the dress of the tourists just dressed like, like we would be dressed in our Western culture. It just it, it contrasted with the dress of the rabbis. You know, the, the robes, the beards, the, the hat, the, the headdress and all this. And, and I was struck so much by the clash of the modern that, that cell phone, the modern dress, how that clashed with an ancient ceremony that, that stood thousands, upon, thousands of years old, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. How those two, that just in that moment, the modern met the ancient in this ritual of the water drawing ceremony. And I couldn't help but think that, yes, that ritual has been revived and it is now in a modern context. But what about the voice that spoke on that day over 2,000 years ago at that water drawing ceremony when Jesus said, if any man thirsts. That voice is still ringing down through the years today. In a modern cell phone toting, whatever kind of modern world we live in, Jesus' voice is still loud and clear. It's not an ancient ritual that we're after. It's the living water that we're after. It's, it's the life-giving, life-affirming spirit of Jesus that we're after. And he still says today, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink the living water. Hallelujah. Well, I'm almost done. I'm going to conclude here with a, with, a, with a story, with a note, and then we're going to conclude here tonight. His story begins in Nazi Germany, where he grew up under the reign of Hitler. His name is Peter Kahlo, and he was born on July 21st, 1928, in the middle of the Great Depression and during Hitler's rise to power. As Nazi propaganda filled Germany, Peter made a decision he would later regret. He joined the Hitler Youth Organization from 19 to 1943. He has some interesting stories how he snuck 
up to the front lines of the German lines to fight, tried to fight, but he was so young they sent him back. In the years following the war, Peter found himself living under Russian communism in East Germany. Eventually, he escaped and made his way to the American-controlled sector of Berlin. Now free, he worked in every area he could, including as a waiter on a first-class passenger cruise line. He traveled the world, married an American, and in 1955, he immigrated to Ellis Island, New York. From there, he and his wife moved to the Indianapolis area, where Peter worked hard and eventually started and owned the largest Jeep franchise in Indiana. One day, Peter met Maria Galvez, an immigrant from Guatemala and a faithful apostolic saint. Seeing the similarities between them as immigrants, Peter helped Maria financially and ultimately Maria became a caretaker in the Kahlo household. And for 20 years, Maria repeatedly witnessed to Peter. But he always dismissed her saying, that life is not for me. Then many years later, late in life, he told Maria, he said, I'm scared to die because I'm going to hell. I'm not ready. And she responded, she said, God sent me here 20 years ago because you need salvation. And he said, what do I need to do? Maria, Maria laid out again the plan of Acts 2.38. And she called Riley Martin, the Illuminate Campus Ministry President at Ball State University and member at River of Life Apostolic Church in Muncie, Indiana. And on April 16th, 2020, not a full year ago, while the coronavirus pandemic was flooding the world and causing lockdown of everything, including churches, Riley went to Peter's home, led him in repentance, baptized Peter at the age of 92 years old in the name of Jesus in his upstairs bathtub. And there it is right there, baptizing Peter, 92 years old, in the name of Jesus. I want you to know, ask tonight, are the waters still living? Ask a 92-year-old former Nazi if the waters are still living. Can you still come to Jesus and, and drink if you need the rivers of life? Well, you can, you can ask the 13 that were baptized and the 6 that received the Holy Ghost in, at Grace Church in 2020 if the rivers are still flowing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you still be baptized in the Holy Ghost and baptized in His name? Ask those here tonight who are still daily going back to the well, drawing rivers of living water every day for those times of refreshing that always come when we go back to the well of the living water. Stand with me this evening. Stand with me. So if you are here tonight, if you are here tonight, I want you to know, if you are here tonight, Psalm, and you may feel like the psalmist in Psalm 63, 1, where he said, My soul thirsteth for thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I want you to know if you feel that way tonight, if, if circumstances in your life ha have just left you in a dry place, 
If things are going on that just, just in, in your world and in the world that have just left you feeling like you need to go back to the well for another drink of that life-giving water, I want you to know the water is still living. It's still alive and it's still flowing in 2021. It's still flowing in Grace Church and it's still going to do a redemptive work before Jesus comes. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. Let's clap our hands to Jesus one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're sitting by a family member, somebody you feel comfortable, just grab their hand or put your hand on their shoulder. And let's pray together in dismissal tonight that God would take us to the next level in his spirit. Jesus, I thank you for your word. It doesn't ever return void. It does great things. It does mighty things. I believe, Lord, that tonight seed has been sown. I believe that your word has been sown. And we're going to reap a harvest, Lord, as your, as your word flows in a living fashion like a river from this pulpit, Lord, through this auditorium, through our church, through every home, through every family, and out into the community. I just believe, Lord, that we're going to see it give life. We're going to see it restore life. We're going to see it affirm life. We're going to see babies being born in the spirit. We're going to see the church grow and multiply because it's living water and it's still working today and it's still flowing today. Let it be done. And those here tonight that need a fresh touch, those that are in a dry place, Lord, I pray you would restore to them the joy of their salvation, Lord, and let it flow in their life again as it did at the first, Lord, as you promised in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Would you say in Jesus' name? Amen. God bless you. We're out a little early tonight. That's okay. Talk to somebody before you go. Spend some time in community tonight. God bless you in Jesus' name.